Like I said, take your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 9. We've kind of jumped around in this series, haven't been in a specific spot, but we're going to end this series in Daniel 9, talking about something I think is vitally important. Now let me just tell you from the beginning, I have always been fascinated by the idea of found treasure. Of somebody having something that they didn't realize was valuable, that they find out to be valuable. In fact, and I know my cool points are about to go way up here, Every once in a while, I will find myself going down the YouTube rabbit hole of Antiques Roadshow. Of the, especially the ones that are the biggest finds. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Antiques Roadshow. People bring their, I don't think they know they're doing anymore because of COVID, but there's what they think is junk or what they think is valuable and they have people there and they analyze it. And I always love the ones that are like, yeah, I bought it at a yard sale for a couple of dollars and somebody said they should bring it down and they're like, you're holding $2.5 million. I always think in that moment, what is going through your mind? Like, like you've treated this object like it's worth nothing and now it's worth Two and a half million. So I read about some of those this week. I was just kind of funny to think about it. For instance, there was a guy named Scott Amos who was cleaning out the attic at his childhood home when he found a J.C. Penny bag. And inside the J.C. Penny bag was this. I think we got a picture. Now, y'all may not know what that is, but that is Kid Icarus from the original greatest gaming system that's ever been developed, the Nintendo Entertainment System from the mid-80s. It was in a bag with a receipt for $38.45, and by his estimation, his parents bought it and hid it in the attic to give to him on Christmas and forgot about it. (laughs) Kind of like the scene in Christmas Vacation when he sticks in the one present and he pulls out another. I know none of you have ever done anything like that, but this apparently was lost for about 30 years. And when they found it and he took it to somebody, they said, that's probably worth something. And they sold it online for $9,000. All right. I heard a wow there. That's awesome. Or the story of Larry All, who was a maintenance worker at Milwaukee's Capitol Court Mall. And they were going to knock the mall down. And he was cleaning up the storage bins before the mall was demolished when he saw a pair of shoes. He recognized them. They were signed with the phrase, my very best, Michael. Size 13, original Air Jordans. In the scrap heap, getting ready to be thrown away. He decided to take them home. He kept them for about 20 years and a year or two ago put them up for sale at auction where they went for around 20 grand. Found stuff, right? There was a Michigan man that discovered that he had a 22-pound rock he'd used as a doorstop for 30 years. Got a picture. There it is. 22 pounds. He bought a farm, and the guy with the farm said, hey, this rock's been around here. It may be a meteorite or something. We're not really sure. But we just, you know, whatever you want to do with it. And he took it, and he used it. He decided one day when one of his neighbors says, you ought to go get that checked out, see what it's made of. Maybe it's space stuff. So he took it and got it checked out. It is one of the finest examples of an intact meteorite that is around somewhere in the value of $100,000. Or, finally, this little piece that a family had sitting on their coffee table for years. Their grandfather had bought it 
for $6, 55 years before the family decided to get it checked out. They just had it hanging around the house. It was a little trinket that he passed down generation after generation. And somebody said, you might want to get that checked out. And so they took it to Sotheby's auction house where they immediately recognized it as a missing piece from a discovery in 1831 of a 12th century medieval chess piece. $1.2 million is what that's worth. I always love those stories, right? Except they'd be nice if they happened to us, right? I know now that many of you are going to your attics when we leave or your storage places to look for stuff. What is this old rock I have worth, right? Why are we talking about that? Well, here's the reason. Today I want to talk about a priceless possession that many of us have neglected or discarded. And that is simply prayer. There are untold blessings and promises of God that can be activated in our lives through prayer. And my guess is, and this is not, I'm going to tell you right on the front end, this is not a guilt you into praying sermon. In fact, it's a reminder of the importance and the value and the goodness that comes from prayer. The Bible has over 3,000 promises in it. Many of those can be activated or can be a part of our prayer lives. One of the things as a pastor, you get the chance to talk to people at important moments of their lives. The birth of their children, their wedding ceremony, the end of their days. One of the things that is often talked about as people get older is how much more they value prayer in their older years and how much they wish they had valued it earlier. Billy Graham once said that prayer is the most important thing we can ever do. And if I could do my ministry over again, I would pray more than I preached. Today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9 because we know Daniel was a man of prayer. He was a man who prayed regularly. And as a result of being a man of prayer, God moved mightily in his life. And I want us to look because in Daniel chapter 9, in fact, in the book of Daniel, we get the curtain pulled back a little bit to see a little bit of what prayer can be. So if you've got your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. That's a good place to start, right? We're going to read what happens here. In the first year of King Darius, the son of of Asharis, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Now we're going to stop just there for a moment. Just a reminder of what's happening here. Daniel is in captivity in Babylon. And as he's reading the scriptures, which he read regularly, even in captivity, his life has been detailed for us in the first few chapters of this book, where he consistently resisted giving himself over to the Babylonian way and stood firm in his devotion to God. My guess is, or our understanding is, that Daniel was taken somewhere around 605 B.C., into captivity in Babylon. 
And the way that he dates this in the first year of Darius from other sources we have and ways that we can figure out, this was somewhere around 538 B.C. So just so you know, doing a little math, he's almost been 70 years. And so Daniel is thinking and picking and calculating in his mind, Jeremiah said 70 years. I've been here 68, 67, 69 years, whatever that exact number is. And he's thinking in his mind, time's almost up. Now we know from scripture, he's been praying all along, but in this moment, he thinks it's time to direct my prayers in a different way. So he goes on to say this in the next verses. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And this is why I want to focus on what happens here in these next few verses. Because this for Daniel is an important moment in the history of the people of God. And as this important moment arises, he's going to pray this prayer. And I think it's vital for us to understand and get a glimpse of what is in this prayer so that we can understand what prayers for us should be like. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands... We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. First thing to notice, and this is even one of your main points, the first thing to notice here is that he begins with confession. And it's a confession for the people and his part in it. Now, here's what's interesting about our understanding of Daniel. None of these things from what we read about Daniel are true. He didn't rebel or go to the wicked way or turn away. Daniel is most famous for what? Standing up for the Lord in a difficult situation, not turning his back on the Lord. I mean, Daniel's most famous story is what? Daniel and the lion's den. Why is he in the lion's den? Because he thought that'd be a cool way to spend an afternoon. Right? No, he's in the lion's den. Why? Because he refused to bow down to the leader, to anybody but God. He was going to continue praying to God. He was going to continue praying to his friends. So this doesn't describe necessarily Daniel. But Daniel is saying that I and my people am all responsible for sin. It's also important for us to realize that sometimes... Leaders of families, of churches, of organizations, of society make a problem their responsibility even when it's not their fault. Sometimes, for instance, in my family, there may be something that happens with one of my children that is not my fault, but it does become my responsibility. And Daniel here is taking responsibility for people in your marriage, in your job, in your church. Sometimes that means coming before the Lord and making something that you didn't cause a responsibility that you want to be a part of solving. He says, we have sinned. We have not listened. We didn't go to the prophets. 
We rebelled. We turned away. Then he says in verse 7, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But this day, public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far in all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown toward you. Notice he doesn't say, Lord, why did you put us in this state? He says we deserve everything we have and the public shame we have is because of our own doing. He continues in verse 8, Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. But, God, you are a God of compassion and forgiveness. They belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his prophets. All of Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Just as is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. He goes on to say in the next verse, Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned all as it is today, we have sinned, we have acted Wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Verse 17. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for your or the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, in here. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on what we have done, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. I feel like there ought to be an amen somewhere there. Verse 20 gives us this interesting little insight. Daniel does this in a couple places. We'll talk about another one later. It says, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of God, while I was praying, Gabriel, angel, archangel Gabriel, the man I had first seen in the vision, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Now, this is what I'll tell you. What we understand from this passage is that Daniel's been praying for a long time, for many years. But in this particular session, this is not a 15-minute prayer. This is not a four-minute prayer like we just read it all at once. That it is over and over and over again. In fact, sometimes even for us as we're reading the Bible, we'll read this portion of it and we're like, okay, Daniel, we get it. Your people sin. All right, we got it. You got that. You did that. Daniel was confessing the sins of his people for hours. One of the issues that we have in our microwave, get it now, instant access society is that we want results immediately. And Daniel has been praying and asking God to restore things now, what we can tell for close to 70 years. 
While he's praying in this moment, Gabriel is on the way and he says, Daniel, verse 22, I have come to give you understanding at the beginning of your petitions an answer went out and I have come to give it. God heard you from the beginning and God is answering your request. And then he says this, that is the heart of what we want to talk about and then some understanding of it. So he says in there, at the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. A couple of things I want you to understand before we get into, okay, so what does this mean for us? First of all, I think you hear just in reading that the passion that Daniel has for God's name to be glorified and for God's people to be restored. And it's a desire and a passion that is based not upon good circumstances coming into our lives, but on God's promises to be fulfilled and the name of the almighty God to be lifted above all the earth, above all peoples, for them to recognize the goodness and the greatness of who he is and declare that openly for the world to see. One of the things I love about the book of Daniel, at almost every instance that we have in Daniel, the miraculous things, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of them not eating the meals that everyone else wants to eat, of Daniel and the lion's den, when you get to the end of that story, whatever is happening, the one that is in charge, the leaders that are in charge, when he sees how God delivers his people, he says, your God must be the God. And the point of our lives is that when people see the way that we live, when people see how we act, when people see the change that has come into our lives, not in how much money we have or how successful we are or what we have around us, but in the way that we live our lives out, that they are to look at our lives and go, your God must be the God. And Daniel is praying, God, listen, there are things happening to your people. We have become the laughing stock of the nations and we deserve every bit of it because we forgot you and we walked away from you and we have abandoned you and we have sinned against you. But God, for the reputation of your name, for the sake of your glory, restore your people for you. I think about how selfish many of the prayers that I pray are. Especially in comparison to what we see in Scripture when people pray for the establishment of God's kingdom, for the rule and reign of Christ throughout. There are four things that are in Daniel's prayer that I think are important for us to to be remembered and to go. But we need to understand before we do that, that last little phrase, because what the angel Gabriel tells Daniel is that God has heard you. And you are treasured by God. Now I want to talk just for a moment about the circumstances in which Daniel finds himself. Think about his life. We set him up as an example, but none of us would want to go through what he went through. Kidnapped at an early age, taken to a foreign land, enslaved, under oppression, betrayed by his co-workers, living under constant danger, at an older age thrown into a lion's den, survived several regime changes, and the angel comes to him and says, Daniel, you are treasured by God, loved by God. And one of the things I think as American Christians is most important for us to understand is the circumstances of our life do not demonstrate how much God loves us. In fact, that's a big theme, right, of the Psalms where David continually says, Why do the people 
that walk against you and openly declare they are against you, God? Why do those people seem to get everything and your people suffer? And in the American dream of feeling like we can pull ourselves by our own bootstraps and that we can, we can aspire to a life that is changed and better, that has crept into the American system of our understanding of Christianity, this idea that if you are truly following the Lord, the Lord will bless you financially, materially, family-wise, that you'll be blessed and it'll be outward blessings. But Scripture never teaches that that is the kind of blessing that God promises for His people. And one of the things that happens in our lives when we believe that is when things start to go wrong, we assume God must not love us anymore or not as much as he once did. And we may never verbalize that because we know that in church that may sound weird, but inwardly we think, what have I done wrong? Now, I also want to say there are times in our lives when we suffer the consequences of sins that we have. But it doesn't mean that God loves us any less. He says through Gabriel to Daniel, you are treasured, not just liked, not just kind of love. You are treasured by the Lord. On Wednesday nights, we're doing Bible study here. I'm leading a Bible study through the book of Isaiah. We're going really fast. In four weeks, we've covered the first chapter. But one of the things that's in there that is over and over again is that when God talks about the way that the people of God have broken his heart by their inability to keep the commands and to do what he asked them to do, he talks about them like a lover that has been cheated upon. It's not a casual friendship and a, hey, if you want to, it would be good. He has invested his heart and soul into our relationship. You are treasured by God. And as a result, prayer becomes a time not when we get closer to God, but when we're able to recognize how close he has come to us. Because without the Lord taking the step and doing what he does, there is no way you or I could ever even come close to beginning to inch towards him. So what does Daniel teach us about prayer here? Just four things real quickly. First of all, we need to establish our prayers on the promises of God. Just in this little section, by the way, Daniel quotes almost directly two or three different promises in Scripture. Verse 17, he quotes from number 6. In verse 19, he quotes from Deuteronomy 30. I know those are books that you quote all the time, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Daniel had studied the Scripture for years, and he is looking for promises of God, and he is praying, God, make this come true. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said that there is power in prayer when we catch God in his words. In other words, when we call back the promises of God to him. When we say, God, do you remember what you said? Parents, you ever do that inadvertently with your kids? Like you say something and they take it as a promise? Like you're driving by somewhere that's cool or you see somebody on Facebook has been to something really cool like spent the weekend at a local water park hotel, for instance, and your kids say, man, that'd be, we ought to do that sometime. That looks awesome. You're like, yeah, that's right. That'd be awesome sometime. And they take that as next week we're going to the water park at the, like, you know what I mean? Y'all know what I mean by that? You ever done that? Like parents, we all know what, hey, sometime we may get around that. We know what that means, right? What does that mean? Nothing, right? That's what that means. Sorry, kids. 
Like maybe if we think about it, if we get to it, and they're like, hey, when are they going to do that? I was, uh, I was uh, listening to a podcast this week, and they were talking about this. Um, and it was a dad who has two older daughters and then a younger son. And the two older daughters got their rooms redone, and their younger son said, hey, can you do that for me sometime? They're like, sure, sometime we'll do that. And he said, now every night when we go in there to tuck him in goodnight, he says, have you ordered the furniture yet? When the paint's coming. Now, here's the thing. God doesn't make inadvertent promises. He knows what he promised. And he loves us coming to him and saying, God, you remember what you said about your name and your namesake and the kingdom of God and moving forward? My God, I would love to see that happen. I want to be a part of it. Lord, you know what you said in Psalm 2, hey, when you said, ask of me and I will give you the nations for an inheritance. God, I want to be a part of seeing your name spread among the nations. God, make it happen. God, do you remember in Psalm 112 when you said, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and finds delight in his command. The children of that man will be mighty in the land and a generation of the upright. God, I want that in my family. I want to be a man that's blessed because I want to be a man that seeks after you and your commands. And Lord, I want my family to prosper spiritually in their walk with you. God, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says that you called all who are weary to come unto you and that you would lighten their load. And God, right now, I need my load lightened. In fact, one of the things that ought to happen with your prayer life and your Bible reading life is they ought to pair up together. And so as you read the Bible and you read these promises, you read these callings of God, you pray for the gap. One pastor said the effective prayer perceives the gap between where something is and where God wants it to be and prays that God would fill the gap. I read this week of a guy named John Patton, who was a Scottish pastor of the 19th century. He built a successful church in Scotland, but became increasingly burdened by a specific Pacific island called the New Hebrides. Felt like the Lord wanted to speak to those people. Felt like the Lord was calling him to those people. There was one problem. The people on the land of the New Hebrides were bona fide cannibals. And he said, all I knew is that he wrote this in his diary. God desires for all men to be saved. And that means those men and women. And I am convinced that if I will go, God will help. And those people will come to know Christ. And so he went. He took his wife and they went. And while she was there, just a little while after they had arrived, she was going to give birth to her first son. And in childbirth, she died, and so did the child. <clears throat> he slept on their graves for three nights so that the people around wouldn't dig them up. He prayed for years, and after several years, finally, a couple of tribe leaders came to know the Lord. And then a few more, and a few more. He went in 1858, and they said when he went, there was not a single believer on the island. Thirty-five years later, he passed away, and it was said there was not a single adult unbeliever on the island. Now, here's one of the cool things. When one of the chiefs 
of the villages came to know Jesus, he asked the pastor. He said, Pastor, I want to ask you a question. When you first got here, who was the army that guarded your house each night when we would surround it? He began to ask him. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, every night when we would come to your hut, there was an army standing around it. Find out where the gap is between what God wants and what is. And pray that God fills the gap. And ask him how you are part of the gap filling. Second thing that Daniel shows, this is really more through the whole book of Daniel, but we see it here too, is that we need to pray daily. Daniel 6, the reason he gets in trouble is because he's praying. He's not just praying once, he's praying three times a day. And from what we can tell, that was the normal practice of him from the time he got to captivity in Babylon until he died. Seventy years at this point, close to it, he had been praying three times a day. We need to be setting aside daily time to spend time with the Lord. It should never be routine, but it should be regular. It should never be something we have to do. It should be something we look forward to, but it ought to be a regular, daily part of our lives. We build upon it. As you read the Bible, you pray what you're reading. You ask God to make it be so. You pray that God would forgive you of the areas that are exposed in Scripture. You pray the Psalms as praises to God. You pray for the wisdom that comes from Proverbs to be deep into your life. You pray for the mission and the message of Jesus that is Proclaimed in the New Testament, but be taken to the ends of the earth. Daily you pray. And along those lines, the third thing we see here is we don't give up. Don't ever give up. There's an interesting little note that comes. And like I said, they kind of pull back the curtain on this. When Gabriel comes to him, it says in verse 21, The man I had seen in the first vision reached me in my extreme weariness. give you an understanding of that, that means he was really tired. He was tired of praying. He was tired of living. He was tired of his life. His life had become weary. It had been a long 70 years. But he is still there, standing in the gap, praying daily. And some of you may have been praying for something for years. God hasn't answered it yet. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Maybe you've got a family member that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. There was a time in my life when about, in about a, a three-week period, I remember this distinctly. In about a three-week period, there was a man in Ripley, Tennessee, who gave his life to Jesus Christ that his mom told me when she came to watch him baptized, I got the chance to baptize him, she had prayed for him for 62 years. By the time I left Ripley, he was a deacon and a leader in that church. My... Uh, New Testament and evangelism professor and some of my PhD work at Southern Seminary was one of the, it's just one of those things that I know he thought often about. He was one of the leading teachers of evangelism and from my interaction with him, one of the most evangelistic men I have ever met in my life, constantly telling people about Jesus and yet his dad was unsaved. And not long after Mr. Leon, that's the guy from Ripley, was saved. He sent an email to our classes and says, 
just to let you know, my dad stepped into a place where he is no longer condemned, but has accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he had prayed for him for almost 40 years. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Our attention spans are shorter than they have been in the history of the world. Adult attention spans are somewhere under 10 seconds these days. 10 seconds. Which means I've been talking for like 2,500 times longer than any of that for y'all. And we think if we don't get things right now, it's, it's not coming. I want it now. I want it. Amazon can get it here till tomorrow. Be, maybe even Wednesday. Don't give up. In Daniel chapter 10, by the way, there's this moment when, uh, and this is one of those I have lots of questions about. I, I don't have all the answers. We don't have time to, to even really talk about it today. It happens in verse 10. He says, suddenly a hand touched me. He's been praying. He's been praying over and over and over for this. And he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. It's that same phrase. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I've now been sent to you. And after he said this, I stood trembling. He says, don't be afraid. For from the first day that you purpose to understand and humble, your prayers were heard. Sounds almost identical. But then he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. I don't understand all of that. The prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed the angel from getting to Daniel for 21 days. Lots of questions there. The point is his faithfulness and continuing to pray when the answer didn't come. Saw breakthrough when God sent the angel. Keep praying. And then the last thing and then we're done. Place your hope in the goodness of God and not your own. We see this again and again In this prayer of Daniel, one of my favorite lines in the whole prayer is that we make this prayer not on our own goodness. But based upon your compassion and your mercy. God, if we were to depend on my goodness, on my ability to have you hear from me, then God, it would never happen. But Lord, we are coming today because you are good and you are compassionate and you are merciful and you are righteous and we are depending completely on you. And we're asking you in your goodness and mercy, not because we deserve it, not because I've done anything special, but because of your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, do it again. If we're going to see God move in our church and our lives in 2022, if we're going to live our lives as we're called to, then we must understand that prayer has to be a vital part of what we're doing. Not because I want to guilt you into praying, but because we get the opportunity to spend time with the God who has come our way. And in doing so, we can see him move. I'm just asking today, if you're willing to spend time every day, Asking the Lord to fill the gaps of what is and what he wants to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as I come to you today, I realize that even in this room, there are some gaps between what is and what you want to be, Lord. There are some people in this room that have not yet accepted you as their Savior, and your desire is for all men to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, I know that right now we are 
in the room right now. There are people that need to ask you to forgive them, that need to be saved. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would make that happen, that in your infinite wisdom, you would make them uncomfortable in understanding their need for you. They wouldn't run and hide behind excuses or other things. But, Lord, that they would surrender today and say, Lord, because of your grace and your mercy, because you died on the cross for me, I'm willing to accept you as my Savior and my Lord. There are some people here today, Lord, that you have called to fill a specific gap that exists in the world today. Like the pastor who was called from Scotland to the Pacific Islands, Lord. And it may not be that drastic of a call, but you've called for them to work in a specific area. Or you've called them to go on mission for you in a different place. Lord, and today, today, you're calling them. To step into that gap and not only pray for it, but be used by you for it. Lord, we have people in our lives that we know that are not where they need to be with you. And you're calling us to stand in the gap for them. Lord, I pray that if there are those here today that need to come and confess sin or just pray or just give something to you, that they would come. Make this front an altar, a place dedicated, a meeting between you and them. And Lord, more than anything, we just pray that for the sake of your name, for the glory of who you are, for the sake of your kingdom, Lord, that you would revive us as a church. Not for our glory, not for our budget, not for our attendance, not for the reputation of this church, but simply, Lord, for the glory of your name and for the spread of your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you would revive us and make us a beacon in this area for the glory of your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.